they say some things. Hello. Adventure. Love. Connection. Risk. Passion. Evolution. Play. Life. The Archetypal Tarot Podcast. Provocative mythology for the 21st century. Julian here. This episode is part one of a conversation that I had with archetypal astrologer Sean Nygaard. Now he and I go way back and we both received our certification in archetypal consulting from CMED in Chicago. Uh, Sean is also a tutor for the Mercury Internet School of Psychological Astrology and he's a frequent presenter at conferences and astrology schools as well as the Minnesota Young Association. And let me tell you, when the two of us get together, it is non-stop talk. And I really hope you'll enjoy this conversation. It was super wide ranging from the star card, which is what we're using to look at 2018, uh, thank goodness, and some of the major astrological aspects that are just ending and those for the near future. That is some interesting stuff. And of course, as we like to do on this podcast, we talk movies, art, and culture. And then Sean mentioned something to me that he can tell what your favorite movies are by looking at your natal chart. So I challenged him to come up with a few of mine and he pretty much nailed it on the head. And so here's our conversation, part one of two with Sean Nygaard of Imagine Astrology. And don't forget to stay to the end because he's got a pretty cool giveaway for you. Enjoy. Sean. Julian. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. And I'm so glad this is finally happening. It's only taken, I don't know how many years I've been trying to make this happen. <laughs> uh, at least two. <laughs> at least. At least. I know, I know, I know. Well, I'm I'm so jazzed to have you on the show. And I know our, our listeners will be really interested in what it is that you that you do. You and I know each other from going to CMED. Carolyn Mace's Archetypal Mystery School, and we both got our uh, Archetypal Consultants certifications through her. But you also are a very long-time student and now teacher of astrology. This is true. This is true, <laughs> and you, you practice what, what's called Archetypal Astrology. Now, now tell us about what you do with Archetypal, what's your brand of Archetypal Astrology. Okay. Um... I mean, when I thought about you asking me that, I thought, you know, well, first I'll say what astrology is for anybody who's actually newer to astrology, because astrology is the the correspondence between what's going on in the sky with the planets and the stars and the sun and the moon as they circle around us from our point of view and what's going, what's happening on earth you know, whether it's mundane events, what's going on in the country, what's going on in the world, or what's actually going on with our own individual lives inside. And then archetypes, from my point of view, are the governing patterns of the psyche. Mm -hmm. And so astrology is a combination of these, because when you, for example, get your birth chart done, which is the alignment of the planets on the day you were born, from the position of the place you were born mm -hmm. at the time you were born, that sets a pattern. And so it's, it, and it seems to correspond as much as we study astrology, it seems to correspond with the workings of your own soul. And then that's where my brand of archetypal astrology, because there are different brands, but um, what I like is 
it's it's rooted in archetypal psychology, which comes out of Carl Jung and James Hillman. And so it's really a psychological approach to astrology, which is looking at what's going on in your psyche and how it corresponds with the planets and how the, what's going on with the planets right now corresponds with your psyche and your life. Mm, okay, so I'm going to ask you a question about your particular take on astrology. And I know you, we, we both, studying with Carolyn, we, there were a lot of really great teachers that came in, and one of them was Rick Tarnas, and another mm -hmm. is um, Lynn Bell, both amazing, brilliant um, authors, writers, who have um, sometimes overlapping, but kind of different takes on things. And I've always found that both with archetypes and astrology, it's both an art and a science. There's certainly something, you know, mathematical and things about it, but it really is your, you know, it's like speaking a language, how you interpret things and what you key into using mm -hmm. intuition and things. I, I'm a big fan of Tarnas's work and um, his, his view of astrology, not specifically as being causal, but in relationship. So the alignments mm -hmm. of the stars didn't cause anything, but the correlation and the noticing over literally a thousand years or more of going, oh, this is happening now and this happens there. But there's a lot of people who think it is causal. What's your take? Is the positioning causal or or is it just relational? It's um, From my point of view, it's not causal. You know, the, the planets don't cause anything to happen in your life. It's like this mirror that's happening that you can look at. And it's a strangely symbolic mirror where, you know, what's happening just you can go your whole life without ever knowing astrology and have a very good life and an extraordinary life. And, you know, did the planets cause that, you know? <laughs> or, you know, you're just living your life. So when you have the chart, the advantage of having the chart is to be able to recognize things that you might not recognize otherwise. And, you know, to interact with it's a way of reflecting your own soul. It's a way of, you know, in the same way that one might go to a therapy session and just start talking about what's going on in your life. You know, there's just this strange relationship between the way these planets show up on a chart and what's happening in your life. And Jung would call it synchronicity. Mm -hmm. It just, it just seems to happen at the same time. And so it's not a causal thing when they're happening at the same time. It's like they're in conjunction with each other. Right. And there's a way to look at it that, you know, your the birth chart is from when you were born. And so does that piece of paper with the planets on it cause your entire life to happen? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> that's a powerful piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, that's a, to me, and I... I I mean, I know a number of, of people who are astrologers, of course, of varying levels, because it is a relentlessly complex science as well as an art. But um, mm -hmm. most people, okay, I'm just going to go on a limb and say everybody that I know that is whatever level, student of astrology, teacher of astrology, they they do kind of come from that, that perspective. But the uh, kind of gross generalization about astrology is kind of gets caught up on that causality portion, mm -hmm. which is, you know, I think for all the bright people I know, they're like, yeah, no. Um, but, and then in a way it's sort of like, let people think that that's, you know, 
not here to convert people, but um, you work yeah, with people individually too, as well. Yes, I do. I do readings. Yes. Yeah. And I, I love that you have that offering for, for people because I think you do in your brand of it and my experience with you taking a look at my chart for various things. It's just um, helpful and insightful and having your imagination and bringing your experience to it, I think is um, really great for people. And, and I know I've heard teachers say before, get a reading from multiple people. You know, because they're yes. going to turn, they're going to turn that map, those, you know, the facets of that jewel, and they're going to key into things that maybe somebody else won't. And that could lead to some sort of conflicting things. But um, I don't think we should ever approach these things for an exact, you know, pat answer. Um, yeah. And, and you know, there's a lot of conflict within each chart, usually. Oh, yeah. And so to to come across conflict isn't a sign that something is off. <laughs> yeah no that and and yeah. canceling each other out and things like that yeah. but um and you're going to do a little giveaway for our podcast listeners i'm kind of excited so we're gonna <laughs> um you have some really great uh lectures and classes that you've recorded so at the end of the podcast stay tuned and i'll i'll let you know how you can get in on that and get get something very cool from sean nygaard i have before i i forget about it this year, so we're at the beginning of 2018, um, which I'm far more excited about than I was last year. Um, <laughs> but Sundara and I, in the last podcast, we pulled a card to look at, to kind of review and uh, like a lens to look through previous year, 2017. We pulled a card for that. And then I pulled a card for 2018 to sort of do the same thing, but looking forward to 2018. And we pulled the star card. And I was, I just want to ask like every guest we have this year to get their take on the archetypes or the star, the symbols in the star and, and how they might, how they see that and how maybe they're seeing that in reflection of, of the year we're in and the year to come. Well, it's interesting that you picked the star card and we're finally talking because <laughs> I don't, I don't actually use that much tarot, mm -hmm. but when I look at my wall in front of me, I've got various arts and various postcards and pictures and calendars and all kinds of things up on my wall. And the only tarot card that I have up on my wall is the star card. Uh, so, so I'm, so I'm looking at it right now. And the, the thing is in astrology, you know, there is a connection between the signs or the planets and the tarot cards mm -hmm. and the star is equivalent as far as I understand to the sign of Aquarius, which is the water carrier. Mm -hmm. And in, in the astrological chart, there's 12 houses and often Aquarius is linked with the 11th house, which is understood to be the house of the good daimon or the good spirit. And, you know, it's also the house of hopes and wishes. Mm. And so when I think of the star, you know, I think of wishing wells. And I think of that song, when you wish upon a star, Aww. your dreams come true. And one of the lines from that song is about you know, fate is kind. She gives to those who love, I forget what it is, this, um, something about your secret longing. 
And there's just something I think about this year where, you know, Jupiter is in Scorpio. And so this fits astrologically, but it's like, you know, we're asked to go down deep into ourselves and what might our secret longing be? That thing that we may not have told ourselves, we may be covering up by doing other things, but there's something about that when you have that chance to wish upon a star, what would you wish for? And this can be a year to pursue that. And that's well, I mean, that keeping your star inside. I mean, that's what the star, the stars is, is is all about. There's, you know, she's the the figure generally in the card is, you know, she's not just lolling there looking up at the stars. She's got stuff to do. She's pouring, you know, she's pouring some water back into the into the stream, and she's pouring it on the on the land. And there's mm-hmm. so there's some sort of activity in the usually not always, but the the shape of her body is often in kind of like a whirl. So one arm's down, one arm's over here. So there's, I always mm-hmm. see movement. Um, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not really a card of complacency, but, but of focusing of, of, you know, how the, uh, the word desire, um, is related to the etymology is, uh, the word desire, which means, um, you know, to keep your star in sight. So if we understand, mm-hmm. you know, looking at what, what are your deepest desires? I don't know. I think for many people, that's still, that's kind of a scary thing because <laughs> you know, it's the shadow. It's unknown. Mm-hmm. Do I really want to find that out? But, um, of, of course you do. I mean, I just think, you know, we have one life and so, you know, you want to make something of it. <laughs> and what, and, you know, what that might mean is going to be different for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So, well, that's, I, I like that. Well, uh, we're, we have our star. I'm holding on to it at least <laughs> for the rest of 2018. And um, it's, it's, it's good to know. And something else that I've always found really fascinating um, and intriguing about astrology, and I, I did learn quite a lot more than I, I ever had in any period of time is when we were in school, uh, starting with Carolyn and, and Rick Tarnas and and Lynn, I mean, it's it's incredibly rich. Um, but mm-hmm. something I, I honestly had pretty much limited my most of my life to my own chart, you know, and looking at that, or maybe taking a glance. I would with clients in the archetypal practice, you know, if we kind of hit mm-hmm. a point where we're like, ah, I don't know if it's this or that. I would I would have a look at their chart uh, to see if something that would would occur to me coming up from that, and it would frequently help. But um, my focus had always been on just birth charts and what showed up there, which is endlessly fascinating. But mm-hmm. um, the the much larger scope, the, the global scope, how the patterns over, you know, millennia are playing out. And I remembered briefly um, something that both Lynn and Rick were talking about. Um, it, I don't know, I remember what this, I, it had to do with uh, Uranus. Um, but the, it was the age of the barbarian and this, what we were in school, 2008, 2009, and mm-hmm. we were seeing it. And I certainly say the political climate of just really barbaric behavior and just a lot of like, I, I didn't see that coming. And that is really incredibly horrible behavior we never could have imagined. Do you remember with, I know that's not your particular theory, but just remind me, do you remember what those were, the particular? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, Lynn Bell talked about that and she called the movement of the planet Uranus into Aries, Ah. um, the return of the barbarians. Yes. 
And part of it was when she picked up from history that she, you know, back, because, you know, each of the planets has their own pace and their own rhythm, their own timing. And so, you know, the sun goes around once a year. So we that happens to be our birthday when we recognize that, you know, but Uranus is a planet that moves so slowly, it makes its revolution once every 84 years and or 82 i can't remember which mm -hmm. at the moment but it's that long and so the last time uranus was in aries you know 82 years ago it was um this you know conan the barbarian made an appearance oh. that was the emergence of conan the barbarian and lynn picked up on that theme and carried it through and looked at history from that perspective and so she just brought that in. And as we can see, you know, Uranus spends about seven years in a sign. And so over the last six and a half years or so, we've watched what you were just talking about that, you know, extraordinarily barbaric behavior across the globe, you know, and Uranus is moving into Taurus in May. And so Thank that's a big goodness. shift. <laughs> it's a big shift in the culture from the sign of Aries into the sign of Taurus. And Uranus happens to be a very powerful planet. I mean, they all are in their own way. But um, you might remember the, you know, the earthquake in Japan. Yes. That incredible earthquake. 20, yeah, 2014. Yes. Was it 2014? I think or 2013. Oh, I'm terrible. I'm thinking 14, but could be 13. I can't. I mean, uh, but that was linked with Uranus moving into Aries. Oh, geez. you know, and the, the 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 violence of that. But you know, but Aries is the beginning of the zodiac, so mm -hmm. it has it, it has this tremendous power. It's very martial, and Taurus is an Earth sign. Think of May, think of the spring, think of the color, think of life emerging. And it's ruled by Venus, which is, you know, the feminine goddess. And so it's a big, big shift from fiery martial Aries into Venusian, you know, um, earthy Taurus. I am so ready for that. I'm just saying, bring it. <laughs> bring it on. I think, I think a lot of people are. <laughs> Well, yeah, it is. I mean, it is um, a, a change kind of akin to, you know, a change like that uh, brings the hope for new solutions. Because I think there's Aries is the warrior, Aries is the war god. Um, and that feels so much like it's the only answer is fighting and mm -hmm. moving into something more, you know, under under the auspices of Venus and into Taurus which is the bull, but um, it's, it's, uh, Taurus is the second house, which, um, as you well know, is more earthbound, <laughs> more, I mean, it is about more of how we feel about what we have and uh, a connection to the earth. And then just, it's a very kind of animal, um, like literally animal Taurus, the bull, but, but an animal nature, our creatureness, our relationship to, to the environment with which we live. And, mm -hmm. um, that really reminds me, um, you brought it up actually, we're both movie nerds, but, um, <laughs> you'd brought it up in an earlier conversation that, um, the movie Moana, which is one of my favorites, um, mm -hmm. there is specifically at the end there, I mean, it's essentially kind of a, a folk tale, but there is the, um, the heart of Tefiti, who is this goddess, who is this beautiful earth goddess, but, Maui, mm -hmm. the 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 demigod Maui steals the heart, this magical stone, 
And um, we don't find out until the end, but um, that the the rise of this really powerful um, fire throwing made of volcanic lava goddess was actually Tefiti with her heart having been taken. So the, mm-hmm. the symbolism and what happens, and yeah, spoilers, everyone who... Everyone who watches, everyone who listens to this knows when I talk about a movie, there's gonna be a spoiler. Um, so save this for later if you haven't seen Moana. But at the end, when her heart is returned to her, she then becomes again this beautiful Taurian earth goddess, and everything on the in the whole land turns back to green, and things are growing again. And that that sounded you to me that you were saying that's a little symbolic of kind of going from Aries Uranus to Taurus Uranus. Am I somewhere close? Yeah. I mean, let me just back up for one second and say that, you know, there's in, in the work that I do, it's not just working with people. I love bringing in culture to what I do to use that as examples, because there just seems to be this incredible connection between the arts and culture and the psyche, and then how that, you can't really fake that. I mean, you can try and you, you know, maybe some people get away with that, but it just seems deeply, intimately connected with the planetary symbolism. And so it happens to show up in movies, and songs and television shows. And I think right now, we're at a time in our culture where we have tons of movies and we're saturated with television shows and books and you know there's not a lack of culture right now even though that could be argued if you hear what well, i mean <laughs> but, little little c culture or big c culture you know discuss uh, yeah yeah exactly but you know so i was watching moana and this is not you know i'm not necessarily thinking of uranus and aries and uranus moving into taurus but watching towards the end of the movie where with that scene you just described I saw this, you know, mean, menacing, fiery being, you know, raging after the little uh, little Moana. And then, you know, Moana restoring that heart and suddenly the lushness returns, the color returns. It's a it's a clearly a goddess who, you know, is intimate with the land and I was just like this is a a hint of this shift in the culture from Uranus and Aries into Taurus. And, you know, it's not like it's going to be like that overnight or anything like that, where suddenly, you know, everything is lush and green again, but it indicates a shift, you know, of how to work with these things. And, you know, Uranus moving into Taurus says that the environment might become a big concern. Might Something become a big, you think? <laughs> well, well, I mean, it it's always gonna get is worse. Right, so, right. It's like, but it's like, this is what we might want to be turning our attention toward more deliberately during this time. And, you know, it's curious because another way that showed up was, you know, back when Uranus entered Aries, I talked about the superheroes and the Justice League because mm-hmm. <laughs> there is, you know, this that was when the superheroes really start and Marvel started to really emerge into the movies. And um Obviously, that's been a dominant part of movies over the last seven years and television shows with um, Arrow and The Flash, for example, being so popular. And then all of a sudden, Wonder Woman starts appearing, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) and then we got the Wonder Woman movie after how many years of trying or not trying or, you know, everything that 
seen it. The so there, Black yeah, Panther, you know, it's just like there is, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of um, a lot of groups that you know, those, the superheroes have existed a really long time, but now they're getting their major blockbuster films, and they're getting yeah. out in front of a lot more, a lot more of us. And yeah, Sundara and I talk about movies and the culture and, and they're reflected, you know, it's happening on our psyche. We can see happening in, yeah. in film and music and art. And I just take that a step further and add the astrology to it because, you know, it. I think it's so exciting. <laughs> you know, there's something about the connection between the culture and the arts and astrology and the we, the line of symbolism that runs through it all that, you know, I find very meaningful and very hopeful. And, you know, it just says there's something going on here that is, you know, magical and mystical and super interesting. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's all bubbling up from the, you know, the unconscious or the subconscious too. I would, I would wager that most of these films get greenlit um, without a, an astrological chart um, being being cast. Although I'm sure some of them do, but um, yeah, yeah, it's a hard call. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, how many know. do and how many don't? You know. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's fascinating too. And when and when we first talked about it before, um, Uranus and Taurus, I was like Ferdinand the Bull, which is. <laughs> a classic children's book that was then made into a movie. I unfortunately have yet to see the film, but, Uh but Ferdinand is the epitome of Taurus. I mean, just sitting, you know, luxuriating and enjoying the smell of the flowers, you know, being peaceable. And that's sort of like a bringing up that, that, you know, our animal nature in the best possible way. And, um, and, and, you know, there's there's each of the signs of the Zodiac had a reputation, you know, that can be divided into good and bad. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's got this like bad qualities like Taurus is known to be stubborn. And from my perspective, you know, they are what they are. And any Taurus who has a reputation for stubborn, for some reason, they need to be stubborn. They need to be what we call stubborn, but maybe it's just hanging on to something. And, you know, I always like to think of Taurus as staying too long at the fair yeah. because because it's this Venusian thing of pleasure that is so, you know, almost discouraged in our culture. You know, it's it's not pleasure of going to a movie and being entertained or something like that, but it's the pleasure of being alive, the pleasure of the five senses, the pleasure of taste and touch, you know, and to stay too long at the fair, to linger a little, you know, longer than, you know, maybe the culture says you should, you know, to have a little more fun. But the word pleasure is such a great word because, you know, there's a sense there's a link between the pleasure that you have in life and being pleased with oneself. You know, I think there's an, a, a link between those things and, you know, being pleased with oneself, I think is, you know, a vital part of being alive. Yeah. And I, I it, yeah, it, it really butts heads. Uh, haha, pun intended. Yeah. With... Well, let's see. That's, that's very Aries. <laughs> it, well, anyway, it charges, it charges at that, that what I would yeah. call the very um, kind of puritanical Protestant American and to a degree Canadian kind of like, well, you know, you're just not allowed to enjoy yourself. And, and when you're yeah. describing Taurus that way, I'm thinking that's very French. <laughs> it's very ah, French ah. <laughs> and to a degree Spanish as well. And maybe a little Italian without the Catholic guilt. 
But yeah, 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 there's just pleasure for pleasure's sake. There's. I mean, I live in, I live in Minneapolis. You know, it's like <laughs> you know, there's a there's an extraordinary work ethic around you know this part of the country, and you know, there's work to be done. We got to survive in winter and things like that. It's like, you know, it's not always. Let's stop and have fun. <laughs> yeah, let's enjoy this. It sounds like Minnesota is kind of a Capricorn. Kind of. Actually, it's funny because I have the chart for Minnesota and it's uh, got an enormous pileup of planets in the sign of Taurus. Mm. So I so I think of the boundary waters, but I'd like that image to spread across the whole state. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, <laughs> uh, and I know uh, there is something that that we <laughs> that just endlessly fascinates me in relationships to movies. When we were talking before, you said that that. Sometimes with a client, you can, you know, you'll find out what their favorite movies are and you will mm -hmm. quite frequently see that reflected in their natal chart. And yeah. I was like, oh, really? Well, let me email you a list of my favorite movies <laughs> and let's see what, what comes up. Of course, this necessitates you being familiar with those movies so it can be yeah. a little challenging, but um, just so. What what happened? I would have sent one, two, three. It's, it's hard for me to list my favorite movies because there's so many I just adore. But I think I sent you seven or eight, and you yep, emailed yep. me emailed me back and said, oh, I have to rewatch a lot of these." But then you pointed out a movie that I don't recall having on my list, hmm. and that was The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which is yes definitely on my list. So I am intrigued. <laughs> Do tell. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting because I wrote an article for an Australian magazine uh, about Jupiter in Scorpio because Jupiter spends about one year in a sign and it moved into the sign of Scorpio in October. And Scorpio is a very sexual sign and Jupiter wants the truth. And, you know, out came all of those sexual allegations and things that start, you know, the ones that, you know, Kevin Spacey, for example, you know, so there's just, you know, the timing was extraordinary for that. And now the, the me too campaign. But when I wrote my article, you know, I had to write it in advance of Jupiter moving into Scorpio, but you know, I had, I do my research and things and I happened to realize that the movie Priscilla, the adventures of Priscilla queen of the desert came out in 1994 when Jupiter was in Scorpio. So I, you know, and so I thought about it because that's what I really like to do when I'm preparing a chart for a reading or when I'm writing an article. I really just like to like spend a lot of time reflecting on this. You know, what is there to say about this? I, I try to, you know, what do I say that hasn't been said a million times over by other astrologers or, you know, what, how can I get at this? And so I watched the adventures of Priscilla queen of the desert again, which I've seen countless times because <laughs> it's one of the, it's like one of my two favorite movies of all time. And, you know, watching it with that, you know, the archetypal eye, was so fascinating because I had not really thought about it that way before. But to think about Jupiter in Scorpio, because Jupiter is a storyteller, Jupiter is an adventurer, Jupiter is an explorer, you know, it, and it's a philosopher and it's about religion and spirituality. And so, you know, and Scorpio is all about diving into the unknown, you know, diving into the darkness and, you know, I realized that what they do in that movie is, 
you know, Jupiter in Libra, the sign before Scorpio, has this extraordinary quality of the surface of things. You know, it's um, it's got an aesthetic that, uh, you know, that keeps everything fair and balanced on the surface of things, whereas Scorpio is the deeper rumblings underneath. And so it was like at the beginning of the movie, you see these drag queens performing, but it's as if they're tired of the surface of life. You know, things have just gotten tired. Things have got, they've gotten jaded in their perspectives. They're tired. So they head off in this bus that they christened Priscilla across the Australian outback to Alice Springs. So first of all, we've got an adventure, you know, which is very Jupiterian, mm. you know, Cal Calvin and Hobbes, you know, is very Jupiterian in its way. And you just think of little Calvin with his tiger, you know, just off exploring the world on everything's an adventure. And, you know, that's the adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And they're heading into the unknown, you know, and they're heading into this ter terrain where, you know, it, it fosters an intimacy between these three characters because as they're going across the desert, they tell each other secrets. They tell each other things about their lives. Things come up from the dark that they didn't know about. You know, one of the characters was married and has a kid, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this, these are the kinds of things that when people are in Jupiter and Scorpio terrain, this is what comes up. And they end up in the in the outback meeting this group of aboriginals and they sing I will survive, mm. you know, which is an extraordinary song in that in that perspective, especially when you understand that there's a survival element to the sign of Scorpio, you know, so that, you know, the three drag queens are two drag queens and a transsexual to be, you know, accurate about it. <laughs> um, you know, they don't know if they're going to survive. And then they meet this group of people who know a thing or two about survival. Yeah. And then and, they can, and, and then being they outsiders on. as well. I always yeah. I think of Scorpio as having an element of whether by design or, or what have you, Scorpio at least feels like an outsider, even if they're not. Well, it tends to go to the edges of things. It goes to an extreme that not everybody will go to. Right. You know, and, you know, and there can be danger involved. And so, you know, these characters in the movie, you know, encounter dangerous situations because of their sexuality and these very, very conservative outback towns that they, you know, m go through. So the whole movie has this, you know, Jupiter in Scorpio feel about it, including that opening song, I've Never Been to Me. Oh, you know, yeah. that's that's like the the foreshadowing of what's to come is, you know, they get intimate with each other and with themselves oh, in the God. way that, you know, they it just it just fosters that. And, you know, your chart has Jupiter and Scorpio. Ta-da! We're all waiting for it. You know, you're just wondering. <laughs> <clears throat> no, no, I knew when you I was like, oh, but I'd never thought of it that way. Yeah, I have. Yeah. And so like a giant planet in Scorpio. But. And I, before before our audience who does astrology starts freaking out, like, she's crazy. No, no, no. I just need to let everyone know it's in the fifth house. Just so you know, it's in the fifth yeah. house, which to me is the best place to have some Scorpio as well as some Jupiter in Scorpio. Might be yeah. why I'm living in Maui now. You know, I'm five. The fifth house is the house of good fortune. It's you know, good fortune and fun <laughs> and being out there and adventure. Certainly, it's putting yourself out there. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. you know i'm in the on an island in the middle of 
the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I guess that makes sense for my chart too. Oh, oh my gosh. I have to rewatch Priscilla now. I haven't had a chance to, but I, I too, I mean, I've it's seen it. It's worth it. It's I've worth it every it time. <laughs> well over a dozen, probably two dozen times. It holds mm-hmm. up too. I mean, I think it's good. I think for younger people, I mean, it was put out in what, 1994, which mm-hmm. was okay. Let's not do the math, but it was a while ago. Um, well, it was, it was 24 years ago. Cause that's the, you know, when, you know, um, astrology helps with math sometimes because I don't necessarily think in terms of 2018 minus 1994, I just know that it was two Jupiter cycles ago and oh, Jupiter takes you. 12 years to go around. So okay. 24 years. That just, makes, that just makes me feel really old. Thank you. <laughs> well, oh. sorry about that. I, I, I understand. That's all right. I graduated college in 94. So lots of cool things happened then. Oh my goodness! But uh, it's definitely worth rewatching too. And as you're as you're talking about it, the three there really are three protagonists in it. They are in they're they're out with each other. They have their community where they are in Sydney. They're mm-hmm. all they all you know either they all perform drag. Even one is even though um, Terrence Stamp's character is a transsexual, she still mm-hmm. performs. And they have their own milieu of of people but they do one thing or another they they have to get out of their comfort they're they're out within their community but then they literally have to go out into the desert which i think is just amazing mm-hmm. symbolism mm-hmm. and the the uh, cinematography of the scenes in the desert is just breathtaking and oh yeah and yeah. beautiful and it's you know it's a lovely celebration of of life, but this was also 1994. Okay, this was yeah, not something that was regularly seen unless you lived in an area where you had a large, typically a large gay community or you know a city. But um, it yeah. was it was a pretty big deal, and it, it um, that era of Australian film also I think produced some really interesting films along those same lines. So maybe there's something about mm-hmm. Australia and the effect of Jupiter and, and Scorpio because they really they showed up on the on the film scene in a in a big way. And you know, and each country even has its own psyche. Mm, so it's gonna so. reflect things differently. So it's, you know, and I was thinking too about how I said the word transsexual and, you know, in the last 24 years, that word has gone out of favor yeah. actually, where yeah, it would old. it would technically be a transgender woman now. A trans woman, right? You know. Yeah. So just to think like of old the people. changes. We're like old people using the old the old words. I know, but but you know, there's just something amazing <laughs> about looking back and seeing how things have changed. It's really extraordinary, I think. Oh, it's it's thank heaven for it. But it is it's let's not make this like oh, it was super easy for everybody. No, it hasn't no, been. No. It really no. hasn't been. We are going to talk about something even bigger and even potentially more difficult. <laughs> um, and that's going to be Saturn in Capricorn, but we're <laughs> going to record that. So this is, this is me taunting you listeners. Um, <laughs> we are going to have a whole conversation about Saturn and Capricorn and the era. How long ago was the last Saturn in Capricorn? 500 years ago, so 500 years ago, you think, ah, oh, oh, no, I'm sorry. I mean, you know, S- Saturn moves through 
the zodiac every 29 years. So every 29 years, Saturn is in Capricorn. But what we've got coming up in a couple of years is Saturn in Capricorn conjunct the planet Pluto. And that combination hasn't happened for 500 years. Okay. So we're going to, and that's a big, yeah. (laughs) And well, just to, to, to taunt our listeners even more, um, you were calling it, I believe echoes of the slave trade. Oh yeah. I mean, that's definitely what it's got connected to it for sure. So that, but if you, mm -hmm. but if you want, you know, something that's more accessible immediately, you know, what's interesting in terms of the culture is, because I, because back in the late '80s was the last time Saturn was in Capricorn, and what what people can do is look back to their life, like in 1988, 1989, or 1990, what was going on in your life, because there may be echoes of that now. Mm. And in the culture, I was just so into music back then. I mean, I still am, of course, but it's like, you know, the music that I listened to back then, the, the charts weren't as saturated as they are today. But I listened to the pop charts all the time. And, you know, when Saturn was in Sagittarius, the sign right before Capricorn, Sagittarius is the Jupiterian sign of religion and spirituality and the seeker archetype. Mm. And you know, you get songs on the radio like Hands to Heaven and Heaven is a Place on Earth. And that was when George Michael came out with Faith. Mm. And that was when the Patch Up Boys had It's a Sin and Madonna had Papa Don't Preach. And you too had I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. <laughs> mm. And you can see or you can hear the the imagery of those songs. And it is so related to Saturn in Sagittarius. And then when Saturn moves into Capricorn, there's a shift, there's a really dramatic difference between Sagittarius and Capricorn. And Capricorn is much more Saturnian in that it's more um, sober, more stern, there's rules and boundaries and limits. And you, you know, you have to come to terms with that. There's a sense of maturity and responsibility. And the songs that came out, you know, during that time were um, The End of the Innocence by Don Henley. And Woman in Chains by Tears for Fears with um, Oletta Adams. And the Eurythmics had You Have Placed a Chill in My Heart. And Cher came out with Heart of Stone. And so you can hear the quality change, you know, and that was when Madonna came out with Oh Father, which was her first, you know, kind of serious song, you know, where she looked at her relationship with her father or, you know, archetypally the church or however you want to interpret the song. Right. But it was a very, very serious song, you know, about having to get out of the house in her childhood in order to survive. And so, you know, but there's a shift and that's the shift we're in right now. in the culture is Saturn's in Capricorn now for the next three years. And, you know, we'll start to see, you know, where this theme of the end of the innocence starts to kick in and, you know, the more serious side of things, you know, we, we can't, we, we have to start looking at things more seriously you know, oh, God. All and, right. and, you know, <laughs> I'm like, no. it, does, it doesn't mean don't have fun, but it's, you know, there's other planets going around too, but it's like Saturn and Cap, you know, and I teach about this, so it's hard to say in five minutes what I 
truly take two and a half hours to say. (laughs) But I think what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to kind of do our little break here. And then the deeper talk about Saturn and Capricorn and the echoes of the slave trade, we're going to put that out for our patrons as a special podcast. And then for, I don't know. And then after that, hopefully I'll get it released out to the, for everybody else. So and I love that you're referencing music and time periods. I've never really thought about it. I'm more of a movie person. I mean, I adore music. Mm-hmm. I'm a radio DJ here on Maui, you know, from time <laughs> to time. So music has always been my thing, but I I guess I just haven't really thought about it. And um, also I was thinking a lot of our listeners weren't born then, but <laughs> it's okay. Uh. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, there's songs worth checking out if you don't know them. There are it, people you know, very... who were adults walking around that were born in the nineties. Just saying it's weird. This is true. This is true. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. So, Oh, well this, I've enjoyed this so, so much. And I'm looking forward to to doing our little snapshot or a big snapshot of a Sun and Capricorn, but um, everybody stay there for a second. I'm going to end the show here, but then I'm going to put in all the information about Um, how you can get in on the giveaway that Sean has so generously um, put out there for us. So stay tuned for that. And also, hey, become a patron. We love that about you. Or, you know, leave us a review on iTunes. But uh, Sean, we're going to take a quick break and record our next one. So until then, ciao, ciao. Thanks, Julian. We know you could have done something else with the last 45-ish minutes of your life, but we are so glad you spent it with us. You can find out more about Sean at his website, imagineastrology.com, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and or Twitter, and look for the giveaway post where you could win a recording of a brief introduction to archetypal astrology by Sean Nygaard. So go over there and check that out. We'll post them twice in the next month, and I hope you win. And if you would like to become one of our most favorite people in the entire world, you can become a patron. Just visit tiny.cc tarot, and you too could be like these awesome human beings, Richard, Sarah, Talia, Hillary, Peter, Rash, Christine, Kat, Allie, and Geneva. The show is produced by Both And Media, and the theme music is by The Lunar Group. Aloha.